Thank you all for tuning in to Politics, Religion, and Whiskey, the Josh Terry Podcast, brought to you by Raising Grace Studios. Shout out to Derm Dude, uh, Par Hopper Golf Apparel, uh, Nobles Networking, Williams Tire, Straight Haggard Thread Company, our uh, management company, Red Circle. Thank you for the corporate sponsors and everybody involved. Uh, one of the things I love talking about is politics, as uh, you can tell by the name of the show. Uh, and... Uh, I've had the privilege of getting to meet Mr. Bruce Thompson, who's going to be our next uh, labor commissioner. I said it right this time. And uh, I had asked him back in today because I want y'all to know about this guy. So, you know, give him your ear. Hang out with us for a little bit. Uh, I promise to behave while you're in here. I'll be an adult today. And uh, I want people to know about you. I feel like it's very important for people to, to know our politicians that are running right now. Thanks, Josh. And I, Behave. Why would we start behaving now? Uh I, be, I misbehave way too much, and I got when I'm around adults, I do my best to act like I, I'm one. Well, I'm not for the majority, though, just to be honest with you. That's okay. There's many, many people out there to put on this face, and then they're not real, and I think people are looking for real people. Uh, yeah, that's, that's why. Um, I enjoyed our time before when we did a show a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I just get real enthused by people that I think are real and that stand for the stuff that I stand for. And they're passionate about it. And it was real cool seeing a couple times, you know, I kind of like it when people get a little heated, when, they, when they're a little, they're geared up for something. And uh, the way that you want to fix what's wrong with uh, everything in the Department of Labor right now, it's really motivating. I really like it. Thank you. I mean, I, we've talked a little bit about my background, right? Mom, yeah. mom made, you know, I'm not that. Uh, individual that was part of the establishment. I wasn't groomed. Nobody in Georgia knew the heck I was because I'm not from Georgia. But uh, where are you originally from? That depends on what you mean by that. I was people. <laughs> people say, "Where'd you grow up?" And I said, "Did I really grow up?" But I was raised in Montana. We moved okay. to Montana when I was four. And I say we because mom mom took a weird path, right? She I see myself as probably a connector of people, almost like in urban Atlanta or, or so on because. Mom got pregnant the first time when she was 15. She had a set of twins, and then she lost those. Then she had Tony, who died when he was four, and nobody really in the family wants to talk about that. Mm. Then she had Rick, and Rick committed suicide about 20 years ago. And, um, and then, I, then me, which so now that makes me the oldest. And then I got a younger half-sister and another younger half-brother. So we are a family of halves, right? She'd been married five times. Um, we did a video about eight months ago because mom's getting up there she's 80 and goodness she's she's got the sins of her past now she's caught up with her <laughs> yeah right? she smoked since she was 12 or 13 and and was an alcoholic and got involved in drugs and so on and so i always joke and say good lord if she's 81 and she's still alive i'm gonna live to be 150 right because <laughs> <laughs> i don't do any of that yeah. most of that stuff anyway yeah but, but the point was, is um, a lot of her choices were not good. So we wanted to film it, just for me at least. I wanted to capture as much as I could about who the heck I am. And Josh, in the video, she admits, she says, listen, she said, um, I was trying to raise Ricky. That's what she called him, Ricky, on my own. I was a cocktail waitress in California. And she said, um, you know, I was doing anything and everything with my body that I needed to to pay the bills. So you can read into that, but yeah. you know what that means. Yeah. And one night, uh, she needed a ride home for the bar, and she was gang raped that night. She was, she was messing mm. around with one of the guys in the car, and there were three other guys, and she got gang raped, and she got pregnant with me. And, and um, so she had to make a choice. And, you know, do you abort? What do you do? And so she chose to have me. 
And she didn't know who the father was. And so they just put a guy's name that she met at the bar on my birth certificate. And that really never came to light. So all of my life, I thought that Lee Victor Thompson was my biological dad. That's kind of what we just lived with. Yeah. And she eventually married a farmer and rancher in Montana who was Earl. And, and that's who I was, ra- was raised on a farm. And we can talk a little bit about that upbringing. But um, I was getting a secret clearance about six years ago. And it came back rejected the first time. And during the interview, they said to me, they said, listen, um, there's a problem with your application. And, you know, when somebody tells you that, you start thinking through your mind, oh, Lord, what did I do that I didn't reveal, right? Um, we didn't have cell phones back in that day, so clearly nobody <laughs> really remembers that. And uh, he said it's in the very first paragraph. Well, the first paragraph is who I am and who's on your birth certificate. And I was pretty sure I know who I am. And so when I repeated it, he said, Lee, that's not who your dad is. I was like, what do you mean? So I went to my mom, and then she revealed. She said, well, not really sure, and blah, 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 blah. So long and short of it was that was the first I ever heard that that was not my biological dad. It kind of fits right into the rest that, of it. That's crazy. That's crazy how you found, found that out, though. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was pissed for a minute, right? I don't blame me. But then and again, you're like, okay, I can stay mad, or we can like, okay, it is what it is. Let's move on. Um, but if we move back to really how I was raised, we moved to Montana. Mom met another guy, and that was Earl. So it had been her fifth marriage that we know about. He was a, he was a rancher. He was tough. He was, you know, my friends back up in, in Cartersville, they're like, hey, man, do you watch Yellowstone? That's exactly what I was fixing to get to. And I had never watched it. Yeah. Right? I'm like, what the heck is Yellowstone? They go, man, you got to watch. It's all about Montana. It's like, so I start binge watching it. I'm like, no, we don't brand people up there. I mean. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't figure that out. <laughs> that that's a bit of extreme on the show. But seriously, a lot of what you saw on the show is true. I mean, brothers and sisters and people on the farm, they will fight like heck yeah. amongst themselves. But somebody else enters into it, oh, no, it's no, over no, with. no. It's over with. That's right. We're going to turn on you in a second. Yeah, I grew up wrestling calves, and you'd rope them and drag them out and castrate them and vaccinate them and dehorn them. And I know you had some cowboy in you. Yeah. It's, it's obvious. It's, yeah. it's obvious. So that lifestyle of growing up, um, you go one of two ways. I mean, you're going to wind up becoming an alcoholic because you grew up around alcohol. I'm not proud of it, but no. the first memory I have of being drunk was 10 or 11 years old, and I've got a huge scar right here on my chest from that. Not proud of it, but it's the lifestyle you grew up in. And you either wind up being an alcoholic or you wind up trying and working for somebody or you wind up breaking out of that. Yeah. And I knew I wanted a different lifestyle because we were poor. We had an outhouse. You know, outhouses now you go and we have a concert, right? So we had a mobile a mobile home, and then it, we, we upscaled to a double wide, <laughs> and we had an outhouse. And I really didn't know we were poor until we got older. Yeah. And I have told this story many times. There was this girl that, man, I had an eye for. And her her dad was the, uh, the uh, principal of the school. And I asked her to the Sadie Hawkins dance, which was, or, you know, she asked me, the girl asked you. And she said, I want to take you to Sadie Hawkins dance, but there's two things you have to do. First, show up on time. Okay, that's not a problem. Second of all, she said, can you borrow some pants? Because I was wearing high-water pants or hand-me-downs. I didn't realize, right? <laughs> yeah. She didn't want to be embarrassed. Um, so we grew up in that lifestyle, but the one thing it drove was a work ethic. Because, man, when you get up on the farm, it's 5 in the morning, 4 in the morning. Whenever your alcoholic dad gets up, and he, everybody's going to get up. Yeah. And you work until you're done. And done doesn't ever happen. It's done is when you're tired and you quit. I think the people that grow up poor end up being the best people in the world. I, I think that they understand so many more values about life, what a dollar really means, what 
hard work really. I grew up poor um, until we was about 13. Uh, my dad's always done drywall. He owns his own drywall company. And he got really good for a little while. And we, we built a lot of homes in Warner Robins around the base. And then uh, got strung out on drugs. And when he did, lost his whole business. Last two years of my high school life sucked. Mm-hmm. It was rough. Um, but the one thing it did teach me, I learned hard work from him. But I've never done drugs. And it's because I, I had to see it growing up. And uh, I think the people just grow up hard and grow up poor. It's just something special about it. It's something that you just nobody understands unless you've been in that position. But it really molds you. That's right. For the for the listeners that are women, it's like the guy that says, "Oh, I know what it's like to birth a child." They look yeah, at you nah. and go, "The heck you do!" Nah, I, right? I know not to say that one. That's right. I'm not getting hollered at. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so we we you know we grew up in a real strange environment. My stepdad was an alcoholic, so he he himself was given away when he was a kid because his parents was depression, so he didn't really know how to love. His love was I put a roof over your ho- head, food in your mouth, but um, in a way that he would express frustration with was with hands so you know you got to live and you know what beat out of you or yeah. kicked or whatever and so as i got older i was like i gotta get out of here i was there was a raging kid i was so angry and i turned to sports and um in montana basketball is not a big deal there is no golf because you'd lose the ball in the snow right <laughs> so there's there's football but the big thing is wrestling yeah my high school wrestling coach and my college wrestling coach uh, both are two men that, to this day, I stay in touch with. You look like a wrestler. And I, I didn't know that. You look like a wrestler. Uh, are you saying I have a face for radio? No, 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 no. You're, just, you're <laughs> built. You're, you're, you're thick. You're, you look like a linebacker, but just a little bit shorter. Uh, I was actually a running back. The guy that started right. Pearl Jam, Jeff Amitt, was my quarterback in high school. Oh, that's cool. So I grew up in a little town of 600, and Jeff and I, and that boy could throw a ball. I would have never thought that. Yeah, Jeff is a phenomenal athlete. Um. But anyway, I turned to sports, um, went out for basketball when I was in seventh grade, and the wrestling coach, Ron Mango, came to me one day after pre- uh, playing in a game, and he said, hey, you ever think about wrestling? Well, everybody starts at five, six years old wrestling. And I said, no, coach, why? Am I a natural? And just like this, he goes, no, but you suck at basketball. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's good for you, ego, right? Yeah. And so I went to wrestling, and he poured into me. He said, listen, if you come, I will get you caught up. And I become a natural, and yeah. it was uh, it was great for me because it's an individual sport that y- it's you on the mat, just you, and you can lose at any point. I mean, there was a couple matches that I was up, you know, several points, and you wind up losing at the end because you screw up and get pinned, and you learn that means you can never give up, but you're also part of a team because you get points as a team, mm-hmm. and so it's an individual sport, but yet you're part of a team. Went to, uh, wanted to go to college because I wanted to get out of that lifestyle. And so the day I graduated high school, I left home. Just that day, across the stage, moved in, started betting down with friends, and went off to college. First year, fourth match, tore all the ligaments out of my knee. Mm. Um, my sophomore year, I came back after training and rehab. I was ranked nationally in the very first match. I broke my kneecap. Oof. And that was my identity. It was sad because I didn't know where to turn. And my college wrestling coach, Dave Greenwood, who, again, I'm still close with, said, listen, you can't go back on the mat, but the fact of the matter is you you got some decisions to make. And so I joined the Army National Guard and went to tank command school. And, and honestly, that probably saved my life. Because Did you say tank command? Yeah. Of course yeah. you can drive a tank. <laughs> it, it, is, it just makes sense. You're, you're just, uh, you ever seen the Dosecki's guy? 
The what? The, most, this, the Dos Equis guy, the most interesting man in the world, the beer commercials. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you remind me of that. It's like, of course. This is one more thing is, of course, he drives a tank. Um, so we anyway, went to tank command school, got out of Kentucky, uh, was soldier of the quarter. It was not that hard. I came in. One thing my coach said, he said, listen, you're going to get down there. And he said, does not matter what kind of shape you're in. Because I was in great shape. Yep. Josh, I was thinking, how cold can it be in the south? It's cold <clears> here. He said, I'm telling you, there's humidity. It's going to be cold. And so he said, you do not want to be the first. I know you're driven. Do not be first. And I didn't really understand what he meant. But the one thing you do is when you grow up in an abusive home is you become very aware of your environment. Absolutely. You walk in and you go like, somebody's going to get the, you know what, knocked out of them. And today it's not me. So you sit at the other end of the table or whatever. So I become very aware. And we landed in Fort Knox. I got off the bus. I'm like, oh, this is what humidity is. It's freaking cold here. And, um, of course, mentally, they start right down the line. They want to break you down. And yeah. I saw what was going on, and I'm like, okay. And if I'm that guy, okay. But this is just a game. And um, became soldier quarter. It was easy. I grew up with a weapon in my hand. And so marksmanship was easy. The PT was easy. Uh, we were on a march, the Purgatory Hill. For any of your listeners who ever been to Kentucky, they know that hill. We've got a lot of folks from Kentucky that listen. Yep. And uh, – I was third in the march. Could I have been first? Sure. But I, I remember him saying, do not be first. And so we're marching up that hill, and all of a sudden we get about three-quarters up the way, the hill, and the drill sergeant is marching alongside, takes the butt of the M16 and nails the guy right in the sternum that's first. And, of course, he goes down, and this number two guy goes right over the top, and I'm number three, and I stop and step out of the way. And the <laughs> lesson there was, if you're first charging the hill, you're first to die. Yeah. And I was like, whew, I am so glad my coach reminded me that. Because they, they had to haul him off the infirmary. I mean, he was, he was in tough shape. I bet. But it was a lesson for everybody to learn. Going, you hard charge, you're not thinking with your head. And that's really who it developed me. So after that, National Guard, went back home, no jobs, rode my motorcycle all the way out to California, bedded down. From with Kentucky? Some, from Montana. Oh, from Montana. So flew back Montana, got on a motorcycle and rode to California. Yeah, through the snow. And bedded down and got on with a company that was looking for an apprentice electrician. So I grew up with mere hands, like we do in this area. Yeah. Right? You learn to work with your hands. And did very well. And they gave me an opportunity. They had unlimited overtime, which to me was like, oh, boy, this is fun. And got an opportunity to relocate to South Florida uh, with that plant. Same pay. And, uh, you know, they said, hey, we don't. Back then, you didn't have Google or Yahoo. So I had no idea where I was going. But I had a magazine, and it was cheaper to live, and I was getting the same pay. So loaded up my truck, tarped it off, and away I went. Got to South Florida, and I lasted a week. Because when I pulled in, there was razor wire around the plant. And I didn't understand why there was razor wire. And so I'm like, why the wire? And they said, oh, we're in, we're in a tough area. We're in Overtown. Look, what does that mean? You know, everyone's kind of chuckling. They're like, man, you ain't from here, are you? I said, no. You'll find out soon enough. And my windshield got broke the first day. Ooh. I was like, hey, this is my truck, man. What, what the heck? And they go, don't worry about it. They said, HR, I'll replace your windshield. I'm like, that's not the point. Yeah. And then um, so a few more days went by, and my truck got keyed, and that was it. I was like, man, I ain't doing this. If, I, if I'm going to be in a prison, I'm going to do something stupid. I've, yeah, I've done plenty of stuff stupid. Florida people are just different. Well, it was a hodgepodge of the Jamaicans and the Cubans, and, and just uh, there was a lot yeah. of tensions that was going on, and I didn't understand it. I grew up around reservations. And, man, when it's cold, they didn't care who you are, and you jumped in and you helped each other. Yeah. Right? So they didn't care if you're a Republican or Democrat or you're from Box Elder or the reservation or you're from Big Sandy. Man, if somebody's pulled over and it's snowing, it's 30 below, you help them. Yeah. Just a different way. Well, that's how most of us are raised around here. 
Even if, even if we don't like the people, I was having to explain this the other day. Uh, we had a, we did our, this is our sixth year doing a toy drive, um, helping families out mm-hmm. at, uh, at Christmas time and everything. And, uh, I had some people come and, uh, somebody rubbed some other people the wrong way. Hmm. Um, and they wouldn't do anything bad. They just rubbed them the wrong way. And down here we're taught if you're in our house, you're at our place of work, we treat you with hospitality. You know, we can say, kiss my tail when you walk out the door, but while you're here, I'm going to show you hospitality. Sure. And, uh, you know, that's just always, it's the way it's been around here. And I like seeing people out. Yeah. That's the way it'd be. Um, so I left that job and I was like, oh crap, now what am I going to do? And I had met somebody at a shopping center when I'd moved down there and I went to see him. I said, hey, you got any work? He said, well, can you do tenant improvements? I didn't know what tenant improvement meant. I was 22 years old. Yeah. I said, what do you mean? He said, can you do drywall? I said, yeah. He said, can you, do you know anything plumbing? Yeah. So I worked for him for about a week fixing some stuff, and then he said, man, you're pretty good at this stuff. I don't know if I was pretty good or not, but it was, I mean, I knew how to do it. And growing up where you grew up, you take pride. You take pride, number one, is because if you didn't, they were going to take, they were, you were going to get the stick or the backhand. There you go. But the other part of it was is what that dignity that you grew up with, going, if you borrow somebody's pickup, Gas it back up and bring Absolutely. it back. Clean the trash out of it and bring it back better it's than you found manners. it. It's the way you grew up. Yeah. And in Montana, the way you grew up is it didn't matter if you knew the female or not. right? You stopped and you opened a door for them and let them in. Just, it's just different. Yeah. And so um, he said, you want to go to lunch? And I'm like, uh, sure, why? He said, well, well I'm gonna, I go, we have this group that does lunch, and I want to introduce you to some people. Joshua went to lunch and started talking to people. Next thing I know, I had a business. I had like 30 shopping centers that wanted me to, to work for. That's so awesome. I created a rate sheet. And next thing you know, I'm off to the races and I'm making a ton of money. And um, I was putting my money into Great Western Bank. And I, some of your listeners may think this, what a redneck. But I never had money. Yeah. So I would iron when I'd cash my check or from people. I was ironing the money and then taking it into the bank. It was like, man, I got I got money, right? And the guy at the bank is like, "What are you? Why are you ironing your money?" And I was like, "I don't know. I just didn't wrinkles out of it." But it was because it was mine. Yeah. And um, I wanted to buy a house, and he said, "Listen, you know, you need a real job." And I was like, "What do you mean, a real job?" He said, "You need to get something that's got a 1099 or a W two to show that you have stability." And it was a little offensive because I'm thinking, "Man, I am outworking everybody. I mean, I'm working at least 14 hours a day. I'm making plenty of money. I can afford this." And so I went and I applied for a job with a pool cover company, stocking trucks and sweeping floors in the afternoon while I worked my business. Mm-hmm. That job paid six fifty an hour. I was making a whole lot more money in my own business. And I bought my first house, which was a FHA assumable that a biker had that he was losing. And so it was destroyed, had holes in the walls where he and this is his words, not mine, but he used to refer to when I looked at the house, he said, that's, that's where me and my old lady got in a fight. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But he'd bring his bike in, and there was grease marks on the floor where he worked on his motorcycle inside. And so I was able to buy my first house at, I think it was 15 or 16% assumable interest rate, but it was mine. Yeah. And I fixed it. And long and short of it was, I stayed at that company, which at the time was Pool Saver, for about eight months. and got moved up, moved off of the floor and so on, and became a technician. And about a year later, they were going to close it. And I had a very wealthy customer down in the Keys, and he said, you need to buy this office. And I was like, you're crazy. This guy had a 25,000-square-foot house, 
big yacht, and I'm thinking, y- yeah. When people we're, like that tell you we're to not do in the same world. Yeah. When people like to tell you to do it, though, it's usually best to listen to them. It was. He was an old Jewish guy. Um, he was a CEO of a Savin Copiers and then an AIDS drug in 1987 called AZT. So he was very wealthy. And um, I was used to listening to people that were willing to pour into me. It was my coaches, not my stepdad, but my coaches and, and a couple of people along the way. And when he said, you need to buy it, I'm like, how am I supposed to buy this? And Paul said, I'll show you how to buy it. And he showed me how to buy that office on paper by leveraging the service and, and the warranty work against what I was going to pay for when I bought it. And so I bought that office and I turned it into the largest motorized pool cover business in Southeast. That's so awesome. He was this poor kid that had, I mean, everybody from Sylvester Stallone to Colin Powell to Hershiser to Gloria Estefan. They were all my customers and I knew them and I had their, eventually we had cell phones, remember the big bag phones. And it was the coolest thing. I was like, I, I don't know where I've died and gone, but this is kind of cool. Yeah. That's, and, that's, man, I love that. And so two years ago, that company was acquired. We grew it, and in in, um, it was acquired by another company that was in the, in the pool cover business, and they still pay me for some consulting. But um, I left that business. I, I went through the corporate environment. Um, when I sold the one in Florida, I was moving back out west. Stopped in Kennesaw, Georgia for the night. It was snowing. This was 1990 out in Colorado. It was nice in Kennesaw. I had a couple weeks, so I was messing around at the Home Depot there in Kennesaw, and guy started talking to me and he said man you're pretty handy aren't you and I said yeah and he said man you need to come to work for Home Depot and I said I already have a job right I had a couple hundred thousand in the bank for myself my company I was young I was I had the tiger by the tail I was 25 and he goes we do stock options our stock is doubling every year and we get insurance and I got enamored with it and I thought it's pretty nice here so I called Colorado I said I'm gonna turn this job down and I stayed and so I went up through the corporate chain with Home Depot and fast track management and on my 90 day, they sent me back out to California <laughs> to open stores uh, for a year. And then I came back and went to corporate, and I absolutely hated it. Um, I was negotiating freight claims. So when truckers would, would bring freight in and it would be damaged or lost, I created a relationship with the carriers like Yellow and so on. That was my job to negotiate what that settlement would be. And everything was great because I'm a relational guy until all of a sudden they put another layer of management in that would go behind me and say, oh, no, 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 we're not going to accept that. Well, Josh, I had a relationship for, I mean, I would talk to you every week because there would be damages and we'd work what was fair. But when we started leveraging you and and what you had done to try and get more out of you, I just didn't think it was right. And so I'm like, man, this isn't for me. And so I finished my career by going to Woodstock and we opened the store up there and then poured myself back into the cover business. So I, I went through the corporate stint of leadership and so on. But along the way, I've started a couple of funeral homes I've got, some software companies. I went through some insurance. I had five insurance companies and so on. I'm just one of those guys you look at it and go, if I need it, somebody else may need it. Yeah. If it can be done better, maybe maybe we should do it better. And um, I don't just look at, look at trying to become a serial entrepreneur. It's just it just happened. And I'm not afraid of work. I'm not afraid of people. I like people. Um, I think I connect with people because I came from both sides of the tracks. I know what it's like to be without money. I know what it's like to have money. I know what to make a mistake and lose the money, um, even unfairly. I had a partner once that ripped us off for a hundred grand, and you had to sit there and look at him, and go, "Man, you were my friend." And you either choose. You either get the root of all evil, man. You're either going to forgive him or you're going to carry it with you. And again, a guy in my life one time said, "Listen, that was." Those kind of things that happen in your life, you get to choose. 
Either you choose to bear the problems from it and the anger and carry it with you, or you choose to forgive and move on and let them carry the baggage. And those are hard things, even going back to my stepdad. Yeah, I couldn't have said it no better. Uh, That's one of the things that I absolutely live by is, you know, if you do me wrong, it's whatever. I want to be okay with it. I want to forgive. You may not get a second chance to do it, though. Yeah. Just saying. No, no, you won't. No, no, no. You burned me one time. That's it. That's right. But I don't I don't want to spend the rest of my life mad at somebody, you know, right. or always thinking about that mistake that that person made. They can spend the rest of their life thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have been involved. Fellow that missed uh, Scrooge over, he could have probably still been involved with you today if he'd have done right. And he's probably kicking himself somewhere right now because he's not. Well, you know, it's all, I don't know what, what could have been. Yeah. All I know is what is. Yeah, exactly. And the good Lord's given me an opportunity. I could be that court. I, I can honestly say, and I'm not proud of this, had I stayed in Montana, stayed in that lifestyle, I'd be in prison or dead. Yeah. Because of my anger, I was so angry at my stepdad that I was like, I'm ready to start dishing it out. Um, it's sad because uh, I hadn't seen him. I'm very close to my, my half-brother, Jason, who's still in Montana. And this next week... I need to fly up there because my stepdad just died. No, I'm sorry, man. Uh, it happens. And so I regret a little bit. I wrote a letter. I wanted to really try and understand, hey, man, were you proud of what I've become? Or, you, you know, that's there, that little boy inside us. We, we seek to be understood. It is crazy that you just said that. My grandfather is in the hospital right now. Uh, he's got a congenerative heart failure he's got pneumonia they just told us yesterday he's got covid now so we can't Mm. go to the hospital no more Mm. and uh it's been kind of that situation with him is you know we've always had a good relationship but when i was younger complete screw up between the ages of 18 to 22 and i literally started writing a letter yesterday to send to the hospital and be like all everyone do is hear him say he was proud Mm. of me just Mm. one time just you know i've came a long way since then and uh, I don't know, that just, that just hit home when you said that. So I, I get why you do it. If I could encourage you, get it to him. Because yeah. um, I for the last, I don't know, three or four months, <clears throat> I've been trying to figure out when I'd have time. Well, I've been campaigning, obviously, for this Department of Labor that I'm all over the state. And I was like, well, maybe in January I can take the time to do it. And I was talking to Jason. I'm like, how's he doing? Is he okay? And he's fine. And then, boom, he all suddenly died. And I'm like, mm. oh, man. So anyway, I'm flying up there on the 26th, help him with the memorial and so on. And it's, again, it's going to be one of those things. I'm just going to have to leave in God's hands. It is what it is. There's yeah. nothing I can change about it. But I'd encourage you, get that letter in his hands. Uh, so at I'm, least I'm, you know. I'm going to. I'm going to. Because you never know. Yeah. Uh, you're tough. Um, you, you, that, that's tough to me. You just, with everything from business to everything else, you literally have the best outlook of anybody that, I've met that has been a politician. I know you're not a politician. I was just going to say, I, I, I hate know, that I know, word. I know. I you hate work it. in politics. We'll put it that yeah, way. Yeah. You literally, <clears throat> you're, you're just different. I told uh, told you when you first came here, certain people, you know, what makes a great football coach is because they can make 50 men want to run through a wall for them. And you literally can make somebody want to run through a wall. Yeah. Like, you know I just, you I just, just need to go ahead and run for governor. Yeah, just go I, ahead. Just take yeah, there it seems out of their to hands. be plenty of people wanting to do that already. No so. joke. <laughs> no. Good lord, uh, this state is just going to be. I wrote this long thing. Um, I always like to put my two cents on stuff. Uh, hey, I, with Biden in there, you need to actually put a quarter down because that two good cents doesn't lord. matter. I don't know what that. I don't think he makes it much longer though. 
I, I think that I think he is literally on deathbed. I mean, I drove by and got gas, and I see this little sticker that says, "I did that." You know, the gas prices. I have a lot of them in my desk. Yeah, <laughs> now, now I'm now the you know inflation. Now they've just reported is the highest it's been since the '80s, and I'm like, "No, you did that too, pal." Yeah. Uh, what was it? It was Carter was the last time, mm-hmm. right? And uh, like my family, we're, we're my great grandfather was a political advisor to Carter. Okay. So like we've got some ties and everything to him. I've only, I've met him I think once or twice, um, but I know they say around here, and I didn't realize it because when you grow up around here, Jimmy Carter is supposed to be awesome. Like he's yeah. he's the only governor from Georgia, right? Or not only presidents ever came from Georgia, right? And uh, so we grew up. Well, we love Jimmy Carter. Love Jimmy Carter. And then you find out he wasn't that good of a president. And it's like, oh shit! Like I was I've been taught a lie my <laughs> whole life. And uh, I saw something the other day where like I guess Biden's got the lowest approval rating. Almost of all time. Yeah. Is I just don't understand. I'm just sorry for a change. And that's why I love having politicians or people running for office. I hate calling you that. Because uh, you just don't seem like one. I, you know, people ask me all the time, why in the heck did you get involved in politics? Because, I mean, there's a cost associated with, with business. None of my businesses benefit from me being involved in yeah. politics. They don't. I mean, but it's because I can remember where I came from. And I could, I, like I said before, I'm not proud of it, but I easily could be dead or in prison because yeah. I, all I was trying to do was live to get by. And I look at it now and go, you know, I have got a great life. And if I can use maybe my experience and what little brain cells I have and knowledge and leadership to make a difference that some other kid that's coming along go, you know what, maybe I can get out of this too. I, I mean, that's... Honestly, at the end, well, that's really what we're supposed to do, aren't we? Aspire Absolutely. to be able to help others? You're supposed to pay it forward. You're supposed to turn your trauma into learning experiences for others, turn your pain into purpose. Like You're supposed to, and I, I admire the hell out of that. Uh, first thing that people need to do that work in the service industry in this state is need to listen to you as soon as you become labor commissioner. <laughs> um, I literally, the past couple of days, have done nothing but argue with people at restaurants because the service is just so horrible. COVID killed the restaurant industry, besides for mom and pop places. And if these people just had a more positive outlook like you do, that it, just everything would be better. Josh, if, they, if we're not careful, um, I bought, somebody sent me a, an advertisement and I bought into it. It was Miso Robotics. And Miso Robotics automates the kitchens of restaurants. And Carl's Jr. out in California did it about a year ago. And this automation became... Um, the reason they did it was because of what was happening with COVID, yeah. right? So they got a robot that the effective rate is $1.50 an hour. This robot's going to make fries the same every time. They don't whine. They don't complain. They don't burn their hands. And so it replaces 10 employees. On one hand, somebody could say, I, I hate that. We're replacing employees. But the reality of it is, if you don't understand, if you don't want to come to work, a business person has to figure out Absolutely. how to do it. Well, what's going to happen is... Pretty soon, if we're not careful, guys, there's not going to be servers. There's not going to be kitchen folks. And so your first job or your opportunity, because maybe you don't have another skill that's been honed, it's going to be gone. Yeah. Then what are you going to do? So you need to go out and be the very best at what you do, just like I did. Man, I Absolutely. walked fields picking rye out of field, and I'm not complaining saying, poor me. You did what you were told to do back then, right? But now I look back and go, hey. Life's pretty freaking good because I can outwork anybody. Absolutely. 
And why do I can outwork anybody? Because I know what it's like to either have someone backing you on the back of the head or kicking you or w screaming at you. And you're like, I know how to avoid that because I'm going to outwork the next guy. I feel the same way. From daddy having a drywall company, I found out at a very early age, I did not want to hang drywall. I didn't want to finish drywall. And I damn sure didn't want to sand it. That's right. And I suck at sanding. Oh, my God. There, that is the worst job yeah. ever. And once you do those jobs... And you do it for very cheap pay because it's your daddy. Yep. Uh, sometimes I probably didn't even get paid. I just had to do what I had to and do. And it's never good enough. It's never, ever good enough. But it made me to where everything that I did going forward, every job that I've had, no matter what I did, I wanted to be the absolute best at it because I didn't want to be looking behind me, mm -hmm. wondering if I was fixing to get in trouble. That's I right. just it, not screwing up is a great motivation, or not wanting to screw up is a great motivation because you don't want to deal with the consequences of it. That's right. And it's always helped me. And I think, that honestly, if you think about that, we're back to working with our hands, right? That's a trade that's being lost real quick. Yeah. People don't, they don't want to work hard, and they don't know how to use their hands. And the fact of the matter is, you can go back to Bible days, man. Jesus was a carpenter, for goodness sake. And so if you, if you don't know how to at least work with your hands, there's a problem there. In our Department of Labor, because we have just obliviated the state by handing out checks. You talked about you never did drugs. Well, we've created an environment right now by just handing stuff. We've addicted people to a check and not working. Ugh. That, I've, it pisses me off. Oh, yeah. You, I've but, been, I'm telling you, everyone around here has been mad about it, though. And it's just our community. So I know if it's in our community, it's, it's got to be all over the state. And you just see... The worst people working, or you don't see anybody working, but they're getting by. Mm -hmm. How the hell does somebody not have a job and just get by nowadays? Uh, I don't. It drives me insane. Because they are getting by. I mean, we hired somebody in one of our businesses, and she was joking. And she worked with me before, but she was joking, and she had on her phone an app. Um, this girl was a telemarketer years ago, and now she's done pretty well for herself. But she came back to work for our software, and she showed me on an app where there are 300-plus people that are on here. And they're all talking about how they're working for cash, plus getting the $300 of the state. You know why? Because the state has no accountability to make sure you took the job. All you have to do is apply for the job, but no one said you have to take the job. Yeah. So, hey, people get creative. My feeling is if you're hungry enough, you'll come back to work. Cut the freaking checks off and hold people accountable to go to work. You absolutely have to. We should be there to be able to help people that need help, but not be there to enable people to be lazy or manipulate the system for those that are like you and I or that are working. Yeah, I've uh, I've always hated government assistance. Besides, for if you were you know if you have a mental handicap or a physical sure. handicap or something like that, by all means, you cannot help the situation you're in. The government should step in, but it's literally a culture around here to where. My mama was on welfare. All I got to do is have a couple kids, and the government's taking care of me. I hate it. And mm -hmm. I, there's not a hardworking person that don't get pissed off when you go to the grocery store and somebody with a damn EBT card yeah. has got a buggy full of stuff, but then you just got to work in a 40-hour week, and you can barely buy hamburger meat. That, that, that is, 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 it's insane. Well, Lewis is on our team. He mentioned this morning, he said, you know, today's national cover anything in chocolate day. Right. Mm. So you talk about that and you yeah. go in and the person in front of you, the buggy's got loaded up with they may be three hundred and fifty pounds, got an E B T card and a basket full of chocolates. Yeah. You're like, come on, man, seriously? I mean, we as taxpayers are gonna have to take care of that. Just take care of yourself. Yeah, I was taught if you didn't work, you didn't eat. 
That's exactly right. You know, that's that's the way it's always been. Uh, we've hey, been it. that's Yellowstone right there, baby. Yeah. That's Yellowstone. If you don't work, you don't eat. I mean, we. there's been times that I've seen my family struggle. But one reason that I am the way I am, and hard-nosed as I am sometimes, is we didn't ever go without. They would always find a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been times that they might have had to sell uh, a car or they had to sell something they didn't want to to make sure the bills got paid for that month. Right. And I admire my family for that because they never, ever wanted to, the government to be daddy. I always revert back to uh, Candace Owens. I think the world of Candace mm-hmm. Owens. And she talks about how uh, government assistance <laughs> turned a whole generation into daddy. Like, the government became father to these lower-income families, and then all they did, I mean, it's genius if you're a Democrat. Right. They really created, they created voters to where now if that government assistance even talked about getting snatched away. They automatically get pissed off. They automatically get fired up because they don't want daddy to be took out of the home. Right. The person that's always took care of them around here, we're taught to take care of our damn selves. You know, you want to talk about arrogancy of government? In Cartersville, since the last time you and I mm-hmm. had a chance to t- chat, I got a phone call from the mayor, or a text, really, from the mayor and from the commissioner up there, and they're like, would you fix this? And I'm like, oh, boy, what have I done now, right? And I start <laughs> going down the thread, and I get at the end, it's a picture of the Department of Labor in Cartersville. This was about a week and a half ago. This is the arrogancy of government. This is what really irritates me about government and, frankly, being a politician. I'd rather be a public servant. The agency in Cartersville took a broomstick and put it across the handles so that nobody could come in. They were working inside, but they did not want to be bothered by the people coming in from the outside. So they put a broomstick across to put a sign on the door saying, we're not letting anybody in. Now you think about that. Taxpayers are paying for the damn agency, and you're so arrogant inside that you don't, you've forgotten or either don't realize your job exists to serve the people outside. Absolutely. But you're going to forbid them from coming in. And that's that mentality of, I'm going to give you just enough money to get you by to get your vote, but not enough money or enough effort or dignity to break out and go think for yourself. I mean, I know this is not appropriate to save it. That is slavery right there. It, thank That's you. government slavery. Is it is. That is. It is. They have made it to where you are dependent on them. That's what they want. And it's and the people that don't realize that are just blind. They, they've just been I don't know, manipulated to the point where they just do not understand that they are literally being took for a ride. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes me sick. It, I, it, you you need, talk about being pissed off. Because, you know, <clears throat> at one point in time, politicians knew that they were serving the people. But you've got too many of them now that act like the people are serving them. And I hate it. I hate it. That, it's like that, a kingdom. The king yeah. feels like everybody's there to serve. Yeah. And that's a challenge. I mean, I again, I'm not trying to be a victim, but I can remember many times my stepdad being drunk and making comments about you'll never amount to anything and yeah. so on. And my grandmother, when she came to live with us when I was 12, said, it's only a season. You know, I'd be upset and I'd be crying. And she said, it's only a season. It's only a season. She gave me my first Bible in 74. And that drives me because inside we get to choose. Yeah. You tell a young kid that may be a minority or maybe somebody that grew up without anything, kind of like you and I, Josh, and you go like, listen, I get to choose what I'm going to become. We're still in America. We're not in a caste system. You know what? Anybody out here can be anything. Come on, look. We, re- we elected Donald Trump, right? Yeah. And he was one of, I would say, the best presidents there ever was with some of his policies. 
We could debate about some of the things he made well, comments he about. Need, he just needs to shut the he needs up. To be, I was going to say, <laughs> his comments need to be hush, right? But policies-wise were good policies, yeah. right? And our economy grew and the wealth grew. Even the minorities have to admit and they have that it is the biggest growth and expansion of economic wealth in the black communities ever. Yeah. Okay? But well, our, we, con- our country's a, a business. You want a businessman to run it. So it even makes complete sense why people need to get more invested in you and learn about you because labor commissioner needs to be ran like a business, and you obviously are a pretty good businessman. Well, I appreciate that. You know, it's funny. We were in a car. Um, Hannah, who's sitting over here beside me, it's, I'm going to give her a shout-out. She's 22 today. Today's Happy her birthday. birthday. And so everybody listening, you can go to Facebook and see Hannah Harding. It's her birthday. But you want to have hope in a young generation. You look at someone like her. Grew yeah. up very similar to what we're talking about. Made a decision. I am not going to be held back or restricted, but I'm going to change for my life. And Lewis, the same thing, who's my campaign chair, sitting of the same kind of life. The four of us grew up with an environment. Nobody handed us anything free. If we, if we ever said, man, we took the hard way to get there, we took the hard way. Maybe some of it was our choice, some of it wasn't. But the fact of the matter, we look around the room and go, you know what? We're on the other side of that. And so we should provide the hope and light to other people. When it comes to the Department of, of Labor and being a political servant or politician, the one thing that I want to make sure everybody understands is this state is going to go the way that you accept it to be. If you accept this freaking status quo of the arrogance of people that have been elected, then you get what you get. Absolutely. And the fact if you get pissed off and you don't want to vote because you don't think it matters, you're right. It didn't matter if you didn't vote. you got to get up off your freaking butt and go change. You can't sit there and go, I'm hungry, but there's food sitting on the counter. Right? Somebody else is going to take that food. Well, that's what happens when it comes to voting, Josh. Somebody else is going to take your vote. And right now, we have got to stand up and go, this is a red state. It's not blue or purple. It's We got lazy as Republicans. Me too. I didn't drag anybody to the polls. I was like, man, we got this thing. And then what we got was it shoved in our face. And the fact of the matter is right now, we have, a, we have one shot to change this. And Department of Labor, what I want to make sure we do is we go in and we give this back to the people. And in the car we were talking about is we've traveled this entire state, and it's been fun seeing different parts of the state and meeting different people. We came up with this tagline. We're trying to figure out how to, how to use this tagline. I'm not very smart, so I'm like, maybe you can help me with it. It's this is a state, this is our state, and these are the people we serve. Yeah. This is our state, and as you see the different faces of a little Indian kid or a little black kid or a little white kid or, or someone like you who's got a beard or somebody like me that's bald as fat – these are our people. This is our peeps, right? These are yeah. the people we are to serve. We didn't say, did you vote Republican or Democrat? When you get in office, your job is to serve everybody. Absolutely. And the fact of the matter is we have a lot of politicians that get in they don't serve anybody but themselves. Yeah, it's uh, as a kid or when you're younger, you don't recognize it. The older you get and the more, whether you care about politics or not, it becomes so blatantly obvious, obvious that you – with these career politicians. They're not looking out for your best interests. And somebody like you, or, you know, we've got other several that are running as well, that, you know, that working man mentality and that I want to represent. It used to be where, correct me if I'm wrong, it used to be the farmers, it used to be the hardworking men and women of this state that ran for office Mm -hmm. because they knew what it was like to live that lifestyle. 
and they wanted to represent people that were just like them because they needed a voice. When I hear you talk and I hear some other people that we've had in here talk, it's literally like you're one of us. You're, you're not anybody else. You are one of us. You're part of that group. And you just don't get that from some people. You, I, even if I know that you're going to have to compromise with some things. And as a politician, I'd be mad at you if you didn't compromise on some things because I believe that that's the way that democracy was set up in the first place was to find a common ground that works for everybody, for the collective group, not just for one person. That's the way it needs to be. And when you hear some of these people, you just know they don't care about you. But they're going to be the ones that get selected because they've got all the money. They've got the the big social media followings. They've got people that are in, up in Atlanta. They've got some of these famous people that you know, put them out everywhere. Mm. And so that's who you're going to follow. But when you think about it, how is somebody like that? I've always said, how is a billionaire – going to tell somebody living on minimum wage how to damn live. Right. And, you know, you're obviously, you got a little bit more money than I do, but I feel like when we sit here and talk, you have the same interests that I do. You have the same beliefs that I do. So it's almost as in me voting for you is like voting for me well, and my family. You know, it's interesting. Somebody asked me recently, they said, how do you even tell anymore who I'm voting for, Right. I said, well, it's all about trust. you got to figure out some of you trust. I said, but I, again, go back to as a kid, right? You walk into a room, or if you're on a wrestling match, you're watching that kid, or I boxed in college and got my nose broke. That's, you know, I didn't always look this ugly, right? <laughs> or you get the cauliflower ear or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, how many times do you go and somebody wants your vote, or you go see them, and they won't look you in the face? Yeah. They're looking at you, but they're busy looking over the shoulder to see who they're going to miss. Really? I mean, that's that person that's asking you to do something for them, but they won't even show you enough respect to give me freaking two minutes and yeah. just look me in the face and say I'm important. I've shook their hand. That's right. I know exactly what you're talking if, about. If I'm not that important for two minutes, yeah. then I'm certainly not going to be that important when you get elected. Yep. And we see them. And so for your listeners, you want to just a little clue you already know, look them in the face and see if you can keep their eyes looking at you yeah. or if they're busy looking over their shoulder or who they might miss. If that's who they are, Think to yourself, hmm, I'm not that important now. How important are you going to be when they're elected? Absolutely. I've seen them. I've seen them to where if you did not look like you had a million dollars in the bank and that they could do something for you, they won't make eye contact. They won't talk to you. They'll give you that, that politician They'll spiel. take a picture with you, though. Yeah, they'll take a picture Go with you. Go post it on social media. Yeah. Right? Oh, this was a great person. I enjoyed me. You didn't even talk to me. Uh, I, there's, a, there's a couple of events that I've got <laughs> to go to the past couple of years. And... Uh, I'm telling you, you just you figure it out real quick. You you figure it out as this person is completely full of it, completely full of it. And then you get people like you that are sincere, they're passionate, and you know that's one reason why I wanted you to come back in. This you won't just end up being labor commissioner. You got it written all over yeah, your forehead. I don't know about that. You got it written all over forehead, governor, whatever the hell you want to be. Because once folks hear you, it's different. It, it really is. I, I've got respect for Brian Kemp. And the thing that turned me on to him a couple of years ago when he first ran were those commercials. And it, it, you, you got to know the ones we're talking about. I do, and, but you know and, what? I got to challenge you on that. Go ahead. Right. I want to challenge you on that. So that got me interested in him. But then you heard him talk. Yeah. And you're like, okay, he represents us. He, he, he's cool. He's cool. But 
it, it kind of fell off. I don't feel like you're going to fall off. I don't feel like it's an act is what I'm trying to say. I felt like what he did was to get your interest, but it was an act. You don't seem like that. You seem like you are what, what you are behind a closed door is the same person you are in front of a microphone. I'm not smart enough to put on a fake. I'm sorry, yeah. Josh. I can't. It's who I am. Man, I, I remember, like, like I said, I got a scar across my chest. I have fun with it, right? And I'm not proud of it. When people ask, I, I was like, oh, I had open heart surgery. And they go, really? <laughs> I said, no, I was an idiot. I got drunk when I was freaking 10, 11 years old. And I got a scar on my neck. And one of my hand off from running with a football and ran into barbed wire and about ripped me to shreds. Ooh. Right? Not, not the smartest. Yeah. But you learn from that. No, uh, Governor Kemp's one commercial you talk about with a shotgun, right? Yep. Go to my Facebook, and you search through in, in 2016. My daughter, Faith, boy, wanted to take her to the prom. And so in the picture, I went and got a shotgun. I was standing next to him and said, she will be home on time. That's good. And, and so uh, anyway, that was the first picture of that. Now, I wouldn't recommend you do it now because the whole people get upset about guns and threatening and so on. But... Oh, um, but I don't like those people. No, I'm not, you're kidding me. Guns don't, you, you and I talked about this. Yeah. Guns don't kill people any more than cars kill people. Absolutely. Drunk drivers and idiots firing a weapon is what kills yeah. people. I just, people's ignorance when it comes to guns and what they really are is just mind blowing to me. Uh, Does food kill people or is my, it the idiot that opens their mouth and eats the food? Yeah, exactly. Right. I always say, uh, what's that old saying? Um, God created a. Uh, Oh, man, but Sam Colt made us all equal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, that people don't realize that's all the Second Amendment is about, is if you're bigger, stronger, tougher than me, and I know I can't win a fight, and I know that you're going to come in, steal whatever you can steal from my house, if I have a firearm, all of a sudden it equals it out. And that, that's all. And the fact that people just don't get that. It blows my mind. It's common sense. Okay, so, I mean, we're talking about firearms for a yeah. second. If you want to take people on the left, you go to Chicago, right? There's more killings going on there with people on the left killing each other. Well, if they're against firearms, why are they killing each other with firearms? Mm -hmm. Right? Why don't they just do it with a hand? Why don't they just go out in the street and just duke it out and prove who's the big man? Fact of the matter is, most people, if they were put in a situation where they're defending their family, and, and to me, you have any integrity whatsoever and you care about your family, you'll wish you had a firearm to defend it if someone's coming after it. You know, it's that kind of situation. You're like, oh, except when? Except when what? When it's you that's defending it? No. God. The right to the Second Amendment is everyone should have the right. Now, you should be responsible. You shouldn't be, an, in my opinion, you shouldn't be an idiot walking through Publix with an M16 and a pair of shorts because, mm. I mean, that's no more smart than going through the airport saying, hey, anybody got a bomb? But you yeah. and I don't do that. We're not doing it for show. We're doing it because we have a right to protect ourselves and Absolutely. our property. Uh, there's a quote that a teacher from, from Dodge County took from me. And, of course, they, they spun it the way they wanted to. Uh, we was in here and we were talking about it. And I was giving them some examples of why it was good. And I, I said, you know what? To make everything that's fine, give all babies guns and teach them how to use them from, from birth. And they literally took me saying, give all babies guns. It made me sound like I was just some right-wing radicalist, a radicalist, and uh, tried to make me look bad. But it's, it's the fact that around here, you don't get gun violence. The reason you don't get gun violence is because at a very early age, we're taught to respect them. Mm -hmm. These people up in Chicago and these leftists, they wouldn't talk that. They was never taught. They think a gun is just 
I don't know what the hell they think it is, to be honest with you. It's a toy. It's just like playing laser tag to yeah, them. Yeah, and but no one sees it that way. No one sees it that way. A lot of people say, uh, you know, that our leftists, they give South a they, – they call us a lot of racists down here in the South, but they don't realize racism damn near doesn't exist down here because we had to grow up together right. regardless of, of, you know, what your background is. You don't get that stuff down here anymore. The South is more progressive in my mind – than any anywhere else, and I just I really don't like left. Mont- I, Montana is very similar. Yeah. I remember I never had a real interaction with a black person until I was in college. Yeah, I was on a mat. I was in practice, and I remember looking across the the gym, and there was this guy walking, and this dude had muscles on top of freaking muscles, and um, clearly I was an idiot, and I was staring at him, and he walked up to me. And he said, "Well, you know, how, however you talk." Michael would say, "I was yeah. Mimi." He's like, "Well, you looking at?" And um, his name was Michael Tardy, and he had come from Seattle, and he was on scholarship. He was a great athlete. We became dear friends, but he reached out and grabbed my hand, and he just rubbed it against skin. He goes, man, we're the same. Yeah. It was just because it was different. Any different people staring at would be like if I brought somebody that I grew up with from the reservation that had feathers and they had bones through their chin, you'd look at them like, holy smokes, that's just different. Yeah. We were created different, right? Doesn't mean I'm racist. It's no. just different. I'm. It's a different culture. I'm trying no. to learn that. The fact of the matter is, what's inside. Absolutely. And so, I mean, even my halves, right, a family. I've got some people in my family. Like, I don't even associate with them. They live on the government. They sue everybody. I'm just like, you know, I've got somebody in the family that took my mom's stuff, and who she's just barely alive, and they sold all of her clothes. This is mm. a family member, right? They stole the clothes and sold it. Mm. That doesn't have to do with racism. That's an integrity issue and a character issue. I don't want anything to do with them. Yeah, right? I, I don't like dumbasses. Yeah, I don't like I don't like. Well, that's a, that's a thief, is what that yeah, is. Yeah, well, that I just I kind of lump all the people I don't like into one word, and that's dumbasses. <laughs> like I just, you're right. Is I wish more people had the integrity that a lot of like what you're just showing right now. Well, I it, think it all boils down to respect, yeah. right? Yeah, I, we can sit here, and you may be. Uh, I mean, I'm looking over here at Hannah. Her and her family went up to Green Bay. Not really a Green Bay fan, but I can respect the fact that, man, if they love Green Bay, these people die hard Green Bay. Yeah. Right? I'm a Brace fan. Or maybe it's a certain whiskey, right? You got yeah. Jim Beam sitting here. America was built on respect and respecting different opinions, right? And not trying to force mine. That's where our, the First Amendments came from, right? Is being able to give us the opportunity to assemble, the opportunity mm-hmm. to, to speak, are not one religion. We're all going to be Catholics. But now all of a sudden, if you have an opinion and it's not their opinion, then you're a racist or you're a this. But yet, it's interesting to me that if I don't agree with your opinion, I'm a racist. But in certain segments, they, they respond to each other the same way. And I had that conversation with somebody the other day. I said, man, the music that you're listening to denigrates and talks about your culture in a way that's in no way is that promoting who you are. You're like, well, it's just music. Man, that is so foreign to me. I mean, I just don't get it. it if you're a lady, you're a lady. We got to treat them like a lady. If you're a yeah. guy, you're a guy. If you're a baby, you're a baby. And I always thought God said we're all created in his image. And just like Michael said, man, we're all the same. Skin colors yeah. didn't, didn't really matter. Yeah, but I don't really. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too simple. No, mind. no, you're not. You're, <laughs> no, everyone listening to you. Uh, when this is uploaded, you're going to be like, this is my guy. That That's why I get, 
too many people value their opinion over other people's opinion or their point of view. But it's literally an opinion. <clears throat> it's literally your beliefs on something. I don't know when some of these people decided that their beliefs were more important than my beliefs. And the fact that you can that you'll even say stuff like that. A lot of people won't. I'll say it. It goes back to Obama yeah. when they said, now we have ours. You're what? He's the president of the United States, not president of that yeah, state. Absolutely. Not the president of this culture. He was just like Trump. Man, yeah. you might not have voted for him, but at the time, he's the president of the United States. He represents the entire United States. Right now, I may not like Biden's uh, policies, but he's the president of the United States. Yeah. And by God, if China or North Korea or Mexico or anybody else wants to come here and take us, regardless of how we voted, mm-mm, we're the United States. It's our country. And we ought to fight together for that. Just like a family, like we were talking about Yellowstone. Hey, we can fight amongst ourselves, but by God, you better not come to our family or our country and start fighting with us. Yep. This is our land. If, uh, if things don't change and we don't get more <clears throat> politicians like you, then we're going to be speaking Mandarin in 20 years anyway. Oh, goodness. I'm scared to death of it, but it's come. It's, that's what I just want people to realize. If they don't support men like you and some other men and women that we've had in here, and the people that are literally standing up for our country and the way of life that we've had for so long, that way of life is going to be gone. We live in a pretty good state, though. I will yeah. say that. I mean, you. We can complain about some of the things that happen in our state. We're not California. We're not Cal. I was just going to say, we're not California. (laughs) I mean, I mentioned this before. I got a buddy that lives out there, just got to go back to work. And they're still playing with mask mandates that are out there and this and that. And during the lockdown, um, they live in row houses, right? They don't know what land is. They wouldn't know what to mow their own grass is, for goodness sakes, because they they landscape with rocks. But they had a kid, a guy that was playing in the yard with his son, and the ball rolled out in the yard or out of the yard into the street. Okay, the mandate was you couldn't leave your yard unless it was for medical reasons or whatever. He walked out into the street to get the ball, and a liberal neighbor called the police. He got a $500 fine. Really? Now, you think about that, how ludicrous this is. He didn't get in his car. He didn't go and infect anybody. I mean, it's as ludicrous as somebody driving down a cotton-picking road with their top down, and they got a mask on. You're like, uh, did you realize what's in the air? When huh? I see the people with the masks on in the car, it, I don't know why it lit. It drives me insane. Well, it's even better when they got the husband in the front seat with the mask and the wife in the back seat with the mask. Seen that. And I'm like, do you all sleep together with masks too? I, I mean, I, I don't want to go there, but I'm thinking, yeah. I'm just wondering, right? Um, I, I get it. I'm not an anti. I got vaccinated, but I felt like I needed to be vaccinated for myself. Plus, I wasn't worried about whatever. But I'm not against the people that don't want to vaccinate. Yeah. You're right. Those that do vaccinate, but the fact of the matter is we've politicized this whole COVID thing, and we need to come to back together as a state. we got an election that's coming up. We need to turn out and decide who you're going to vote for with the governor and then get behind them. You need to turn out lieutenant governor all the way down to this down-ballot race that nobody even knows what the labor commissioner is supposed to do. No, we're going to teach them. Well, by God, we should. Go to a restaurant or go to a <laughs> place right now, and they're closing because they can't get people to come to work. Ugh. Mr. Bruce. Sir, I am extremely glad you made time to come in today. And anything, I, you're just, it is literally a breath of fresh air to hear somebody like you. Whenever all, I don't condone what happened at the Capitol. Obviously, like I don't like that the people broke in or whatever. But one thing I did like about it, it was reminding politicians that they work for us. We don't work for them. They're supposed to be representing us. And there were so many people pissed off. 
I don't think it's right to be pissed off. I think you have to make change. You can be mad, but if you're not working to make change and improve the situation, all you do is laying around fussing about it on social media, you're nothing but part of the problem in my mind. Hey, Josh, I like people to get mad. Yeah. I just don't want them to be indignant with their anger. Yeah. I want them to be active. Exactly. Right? And that, that's what I, I was getting to is <clears throat> having people support you or support other people that are running for office that have a mind like you, a mindset like you, is the way that we fight back and win our country back. It can start at labor commissioner, but it, I, I believe in the wildfire effect. It takes one. It takes one little match dropped in a – and some and some, I'm, I'm 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 not talking good today. And some straw somewhere. And next thing you know, the whole forest is on fire. I think that's why we get behind folks like you, because you're going to keep pushing. You're going to keep trying to make the state better. Hopefully, some of the things you say rub off on somebody next to you that might be the governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state. It all starts somewhere, and that's this is this is kind of like what I want to do. I want to help people like you get where they need to be because that is how we improve our state. Well, I'm, I'm a, I really am. I'm appreciative of it. I'm appreciative of your friendship. Yeah. People are listening to it. Um, I mean, you can go to Bruce Thompson for George and hear this yep. story. It's just me. I ain't making this up, right? I don't, I don't aspire to be this. I just I realize what it's like. And there are a whole bunch of people that right now probably don't look at things like you and I do going, Hey, you know what? Tomorrow can be better. They're wondering how they're just getting by today. And so we have a responsibility, you and I to go like, Hey, you know what? We can give you hope yep. and not a false hope. I'm willing to fight for it. It's worth the fight. It's obvious. You will. I think that's why I dig you. I dig you. And I hope everybody else digs you. Uh, Hey, Merry Christmas, by Mer the way. Merry Christmas to you too. Uh, Tell them again the name of the website they can go check you out on. Do you got any speaking engagements or anything coming up? Oh, or we're all over. Yeah. Um, so it's Bruce Thompson for Georgians. I think that just says it all. I mean, I want to be here for Georgians. Uh, I've been here since 1990, so hopefully I've been here longer than we're, I have anywhere else. Well, I'm glad you came. Thank uh, you. <laughs> um, and and uh, my cell phone. I mean, I tell people it's the same phone I had in business, and I answer the stinking phone, right? Yeah. That's be accessible. 404-660-1165. And again, where we're headed from here over to Savannah, right? Well, first I'm going over to see somebody. I don't know. If, do you know Ed Daniels? Daniel Chevrolet. You need to know Daniel him. Daniel Chevrolet. It's GMC. It's over in, in Swainsboro. Okay. He's your kind of guy. I'm telling oh, you, really? you got to connect. His life to get to where he's at is the yeah. same as ours, and he's the exact same thing. as. G I mean, you dig him, and yeah. he would support your program anyway because he's that kind of guy. But we're going over there because he wants a couple hundred signs. And then there's a big event in Savannah tonight that we're going to speak. And um, I don't know, there's three or 400 people. There's politicians, a bunch of people get together. And um, anyway, we'll, get, matters. we'll give them hell. I will. I promise. And, uh, thank you for being a. But I'm telling them there's also a heaven, too, because that's. Oh, important. yeah, yeah, yeah. I ain't, I'm not knocking that. Nope. No, just thank you for everything you're doing. I'm ready for Georgia to be blood red again. That's right. It will be. All right, folks. Well, thank y'all. You're going to check out Mr. Bruce. And uh, thank y'all for listening to Politics, Religion, and Whiskey. We'll catch y'all next time.